Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I'm Jake Burns, an enterprise strategist for AWS. Today I sit down with Brett Orr, the general manager of BigMate, to talk about leadership, getting the best out of people, and encouraging growth. So Brett, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Jake. Thanks. So can we start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and your role? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been in IT and telecommunications now for uh, way too long, some 35 years, basically looking at businesses and and growing businesses. So uh, transforming businesses, reshaping businesses, uh, picking old businesses up and moving them into the the now and uh, hopefully pushing them well into the future. Uh, Working with teams to motivate teams and, and make sure that we get the best out of the people that we have and, and make sure that the culture within organisations is right. So pretty much uh, have owned businesses from uh, the south of Australia through to the north of Australia. I've helped large businesses grow and transform and, and reposition. Uh, I've worked with for many years with state and federal agencies, so government um, of, of all levels all around um, Australia and um, overseas. Spent some time in Canberra, which is our nation's capital, uh, with federal agencies, uh, reducing the disparity in secure internet gateways and, and doing a consolidation of those secure internet gateways. And um, that, that took me to, uh, to, to Big Mate. Gotcha. And so you're currently the general manager at Big Mate? Yeah, I'm the general manager at Big Mate. Uh, been here for um, just over three years now. Great. So you mentioned that one of the things you specialize in is uh, getting the best out of people. I'm kind of curious to know how you do that. Um, there's there's no real secret to that uh, other than communication. I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh, most problems come from uh, a lack of communication, a lack of understanding, uh, not understanding what the direction is. Um, the the other the other real secret is uh, depending on whether you're a startup business or you're a mature business. But if you're a startup business and you have the luxury of choosing the staff that you're going to have for the positions, understand your positions incredibly well. Understand what you're looking for. Um, having the most intelligent person isn't always the best solution. It's having a, a group of people that will work harmoniously. So wherever I am, I always ensure that I have a very, very stringent um, employment regime. Um, and, and that's just to ensure that we don't get that one rotten apple. And that's to ensure that we have the culture that we want. And uh, that, can, that can be challenging because if you're uh, a new and a startup business or you're doing a shift in a business, you'll generally go for A-type personalities that want to win, that want to succeed, that want to be part of the team and, and keeping them work harmoniously. harmoniously. Right. But also having that competition between them is, is the key. But that comes down to communication. Gotcha. So if you don't mind, I'm going to start with the difficult questions first because they're just what are top of mind to me. Um, you know, and I've, I've managed teams uh, most of my career. And so um, kind of this issue is something that's come up quite a bit. I think especially now where, you know, companies are trying to hire for particular skill sets that are in very short supply. And in a lot of ways in the tech industry, it's, it's you know, it's kind of like a seller's market if you're, if you're uh, looking for a job, which is great. But, um, you know, on the hiring side, you know, it, it could be a challenge. So what do you do when you have somebody perhaps that you're trying to hire or maybe somebody that's already on your team that's just a rock star in terms of skill set, but doesn't kind of get along with everyone and perhaps doesn't uh, fit the culture very well? I mean, for a lot, a lot of leaders, this is a, a dilemma that they're facing. Uh, look, it is. And uh, I think we've all faced it more, more than once. Um, in short... Um, the good of the many outweigh the good of the few. So if you've got a rock star sitting within the business, 
um, but he's not fitting within the culture of the business. Generally, what you'll find if that rock star gets moved to a, uh, another organization where he or she can be a rock star, you will find the other people will have been blanketed um, by that person if the personality is, is that abrasive within an organization. So never build a business around, um, around a rock star. And always ensure that uh, you've, you've got a good working team back to that team again. And generally, rock stars can fit into the team and can fit in absolutely brilliantly. But if you've got one that doesn't, it's not worth the, it's not worth the hassle. So would, you, would your first approach be to try to um, get that person to be a better cultural fit? Or do you believe that they're either a fit or they're not? Jake, one of the reasons why I think it's so important to employ correctly is that you can educate people. You can give them more skill sets. But it's pretty hard to change people. We take that um, that approach of changing people into the products that that we push out. I've I've run with that my entire business life, and equally internally, um, if if a person is intrinsically not a fit, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just means that you don't have the right job for that person. Then you move them on, and that will be to the betterment of the organization ninety nine times out of one hundred. So let's back up a minute. And I think I, I didn't ask you kind of what does Big Mate do exactly? Can you tell us a little bit about the company? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Big Big Mate um, started, believe it or not, some 25 years ago. It's a, an organization that had a, uh, a very much a leadership position in telematics in, in Australia and continued to have that position for many, many years. But in the telematics industry, it's a very, very dirty pool with a lot of people swimming and a lot of good operators, um, as, as we are. But to get organic growth within an organization is, is fairly hard. So some three odd years ago, um, just a bit over three years ago, I was asked to come into the business and look at what we could do to get um, some additional growth out of the business. Um, the business was growing reasonably strongly, but still only high single digit numbers. And, and we want to accelerate past that. So we, uh, after a long chat, I came in and had a look at the business and um, we moved the business very much into an IoT focused business. Now, my definition of IoT is um, you've got a sensor sitting at the end of some sort of uh, transit layer, um, going to some sort of storage going to some sort of analytics engine and then presenting the information that you want. So um, it differs a little bit from some people in, in the industry. But what for me, it means um, that it can be small, cheap uh, IoT sensors. It can be something like an ATM machine or it can be video. So we moved very much into looking at what we could do with government, local government. So we do IoT around bringing awareness to their environment are my bins full? Do they need emptying? Is my water flowing where it needs to? Do my toilets need cleaning? Um, do I need to put more uh, toilet paper in, um, in in the toilets? Do I have um, factories that are creating too much uh, air particulates um, and, and pollution across residential areas? Are my dogs barking too much? Um, so, so that sort of stuff that helps with what local government and, and government was already doing, but bringing that into the digital age, so you're streamlining it right through to uh, using video, so computer vision, to create uh, analytics uh, around safety in work environments and, and helping people get home safely from a day's work. So uh, that was the short pitch on what Big Mate do. Great, great. And uh, Big Mate's gone through a massive transformation lately. Can you share some background on that? Yeah, I, I alluded to that a little bit. Big Mate has gone a, through a huge transformation. So in the last three years, we've kind of reinvented ourselves. When I say kind of, we have. So we still have the core business that sits there, which is that telematic side of the business. And we still um, play very high in the uh, Australian marketplace and, and we still deliver um, excellent service to the clients that we have. 
but we've we've taken those superpowers and moved it into the IoT world, and that's been um, very good for us uh, with some very strong partners. Um, AWS is is one of those partners and has helped us grow and scale very very quickly. And probably the one that's taken us global, uh, not probably, definitely the one that's taken us global is our computer vision expertise. So what what we do is we've created algorithms and, and logic that um, uh, allow us to use standard CCTV networks and um, have depth within that field of view. And once you've got depth, you can tell how close people are to things that they shouldn't be close to. You can start monitoring OHS rules. You can start giving alerts um, to let people know that something's coming to hit them. So that transformation from basically 22 years of doing telematics and doing it very well into becoming a global leader into computer vision has been a hell of a challenge in the last three years. And it's, um, you know, it comes back to a question that you asked earlier, Jake, about how do you manage that transition with people getting the right staff on board and managing through that change process. So yeah, it's been a big one for us. Yeah. So whenever there's change, there's always going to be the, the, the people component of it, probably the biggest component of any kind of change within an organization. What are your overall thoughts on how to handle that? And when there's a need for a new skill set, do you prefer to try to train the existing folks or do you try to bring in new folks who have that skill set? Or is it a combination of both? It depends what stage of the cycle you are in the transition as to what you actually do. I firmly believe in training people and, and having people skill up. I would, I would rather spend money on training people and have them leave than not spend money on training people and have them stay. So if you're in a fast and elevated process, um, then you need to buy in the skill set um, because you need to get that skill set happening quickly. But if you've in that consolidation phase where you know what your direction is, it's solidly focused and, and burnt into the minds of the people that are working with you and certainly the senior management team within your organization, and you're pushing forward into that, then you can sit back and, and spend a bit of time in, in getting the people up to speed that you have and, and moving. If you're going in a totally different direction or you need to create another pod or a pocket, um, then typically that will be employing people. So it is absolutely a mixture of both. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. And I, I tend to favor people listen to the podcast. No, because I've probably said this many times. And we're usually talking about kind of cloud projects, um, cloud transformations. But, you know, I, I tend to favor upskilling your current team because the way I look at it, it's so much easier to teach people who already understand your culture and understand your systems and, and uh, you know, how to, how to work within your organization, a new skill than to bring in somebody who has that skill and then teach them all those other things, right? It's just, it's just a less, less of an uphill battle, right? 100%. Employing people, doesn't matter how good the person is, until they become useful to your organization um, is, is quite, a, quite a few months um, because they need to understand what you're achieving. They need to understand where it is to have those full and, and meaningful conversations. Yes, you can get them working on Bitworks, but until they understand the entire mechanism, um, and certainly I agree with you, Jake, if someone already has that understanding, um, teaching them is is a lot easier. Right, right. And there's so many other advantages as well, too, because your staff is always looking at, at, at you as a leader and kind of gauging, you know, how much how much are you really have their best interest at heart, right? So um, by, by upskilling them and getting them training and giving them opportunities, it kind of helps build that trust as well. Whereas when you kind of bring in new folks to replace them or even augment them, that could be looked at as a threat. And uh, just from a morale perspective, I think it just makes more sense to kind of give them at least a first shot at it. There's another thing that you said that I think is so important. I forget the exact phrase that you used, but you're, you're basically saying a version of what I say, 
which is, you know, if your biggest problem is that your, your, your team is so skilled that most of what you're worrying about is how you're going to retain them, that's a sign that you're doing it right. You know, you're always going to have problems uh, in any organization, but if that's your problem, that's, that's a fantastic problem to have. I'd rather have that problem than have the problem of, like you said, a bunch of people who I don't have to worry about them leaving because no one wants to hire them. So I have a bunch of useless people. I would rather have very useful people and fight to keep them every single day. That's a better problem to have, wouldn't you agree? A hundred percent. And, you know, one, one of the things that I think is a measure of a successful business, what, what you said, I could not agree with more, is the, the longevity of the people that you have and the skills of the people that you have. If the longevity is up and the skill is up, you're doing something right. And that's one of those measures. For, for me, it, it's any decision that you make, you must have, whether it's written down, whether one of your SLT know it, or whether it's something that's sitting in the back of your head, you must have a measure of success because... Uh, and, and, and staff are those measure of success. Longevity is that measure of success. Skill set is the measure of, of that success. And the amount that they want to contribute to conversations is a measure to that success. If you've got someone sitting back, doesn't want to contribute, doesn't want to get involved, doesn't matter. Right. They're not bought into the business. It's, it's really, really important. Yeah, definitely. So here's what I, the, the, the question that I get. Uh, constantly when I have this conversation with customers and we're talking about people development is now I've upskilled these, these, these folks, they've got their certifications, they've got firsthand experience, and now I'm fighting to keep them. How do I keep them? What, what, what do I actually do to, to keep them in my organization? Do you know, Jake, I actually don't fight to keep people. What I do is I will support someone in their career progression. I try to try to, again, understand what their career progression is and give them all the chances to do that. But again, I would rather have someone outside there when they're having a barbecue, when they're sitting at a pub talking to mates saying, look, I worked with Brett Orr in whatever company it was, and it was a great experience. He, he nurtured, he grew, he helped me challenge, and this is where I've gone to. And when I get the opportunity, I'll go back there. Um, and they do. They, they do come back. Sometimes there's some skill sets, there's some learning, there's some things you just can't give them. And so let them go. Um, but they'll, they'll come back in spades. And, and, and again, those, those water cooler, those bar, those barbecue discussions, they will all be very, very rich. Um, so no, I don't, I don't do that, but I don't lose people because I do respect the people and I make sure that my SLT, that they, they are carrying the same ethos that I have. You work hard, you have fun and you make sure you're achieving what you want to achieve from a career perspective, from a home perspective. Um, it's, all, it's all really important. Yeah. That's kind of my, my answer is if you, if you make the work interesting, if you be the kind of leader that people want to work for, and if you're giving them a, um, your staff continual opportunities to develop, why would they want to leave, right? It's like, it's kind of like a game of chicken almost. It's like, I'm not going to keep, um, you know, investing in you. And so you should stick with me as long as possible. That's kind of the game, right? And if they enjoy working for you and they're getting fulfillment out of it, then they tend not to leave. So that kind of fear that a lot of leaders have, um, in my experience, isn't isn't really you know that big of a threat. No, look, it it isn't. I mean, and, and let's let's flip it from the business side. There's there's different times in a cycle, and it depends what and where you are. But if you're in a startup business, you will have dependency sitting on single individuals. That's that's just how life is because you don't have enough to to back their skill sets up. But um, every move that you make, every addition that you make to the team should be with a thought to how do I back up half, a whole, a third, one fifth of the skill set of that person that I value. And so when someone does leave, 
uh, the, the skill set can be carried and can be transformed into the next person that comes on board. And if, if again, there's certain stages and there's certain exceptions to what I'm just about to say, but if a leader is worried about losing staff, then he probably hasn't got his structure quite right yet. Right. Yeah. And I'd also say that it's a skill that an organization can develop and a leader can develop that that skill is um, getting you know their staff to be trained and to, to be improving. So if you kind of have a kind of like a factory is the way I would think about it. If I have a fa- like the way I looked at it in my previous employer, I had a factory that produced high performers um, with certain skill sets that we needed and the industry just happened to need as well. So if I lose them, I ended up not losing them. So you have strategies to not lose them. But if you do lose them, it's not, you don't have that kind of scarcity mindset. You have more of an abundance mindset because I'll just make more of them. I don't hire cloud engineers. I create them. So if they want to go out there into the world and make more money somewhere else, good. I'll give someone else an opportunity to become one as well. You know, it's a win-win. Well said. I agree. Absolutely agree. Okay. So since we don't disagree on any of this, I'm going to change subjects. (laughs) To something we do disagree on. I'm going to try to find something. Um... So let's go back to this transformation um, at BigMate. So, you know, in a lot of these kind of transformations, uh, there's pushback, whether it be from top leadership or whether it be from from your teams, somewhere within an organization, there's always going to be some inertia. Did this happen in your organization? And if so, how did you manage it? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And anytime you're transforming a older business with an established business, um, you're, you're going to have that challenge. Uh, and, and there's a number of different ways to to handle that. Uh, one one philosophy is if you can't change the people, you change the people. The other philosophy is that depending on where you want to go and what you want to do is you can create a, um, a subset and sell back into the existing business until you've achieved what you wanted to do. And let me expand on that. So um, we had a, a, a very good and very solid um, and very working 19... 80s, 19, early 1990s sort of mentality business uh, running along here. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I, I lived my teenage years through that and, and enjoyed it very much. But um, you, you, need to, you need to evolve. So what we did is we looked at what the superpowers were within um, Big Mate and we built a business around the side of those superpowers. So when we needed to buy back into the business, we bought back into what that existing business was while we grow, grew the, um, the other part of our business. And so we ended up being a client. I ended up creating a, um, a client of the new business back into the old business. And what happened is because I, I, I believe people, changing people, as I mentioned earlier, is a very, very hard process. In fact, it's a process that generally you won't win. Um, but if you want to do that, you can do it by an erosion method, which see how the rest of the, the business is operating, um, sell back into that business, and they can either buy into that or decide that they want to sit out on side. And if they want to sit out on side, um, they're making a conscious decision that they're not going to move forward with the business. If they if you see them starting to evolve and train and move into the business, um, then you will pick up and you'll pick up always, you will pick up people that you didn't expect to pick up that will just adapt and had been bored, but that's what they wanted to do within their current business and, and move along. So to answer your question, um, we adopted that strategy. I built a business on, on the side of it. We built a business that brought back into um, the big mate business while we grew the IoT and the computer vision side of the business. Now, that is well enveloped the um, the other part of our business and we have had some casualties uh, along the way with people that didn't buy into where we wanted to go um, but we've we've moved the business now into a a, a very fast paced very quickly growing uh, very profitable business and um, 
we've taken a business that operated very much within Australia and we've globalised it. And, um, and, and the team are, are on that. And I've got team working 24-7. Um, I'm not saying the same people working 24-7, <laughs> but I've got team working 24-7 because we, we are now an outcomes-based organisation. We are working um, a, around the clock, so in, in different time zones. Um, and I don't get one complaint about that, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, I get, I, I hear a lot of jokes. I hear a lot of, ah, oh, look, you know, I was up at this point in time or at this hour. Um, but that's, that's how we did the transition, Jake. Um, but there, there are a number of ways. And again, it v- depends very much. If you're on a, if you're doing a startup business, there's no transition to be made. Uh, if the business is bigger and it's quite disparate in the change that you're doing, there's different ways that you would approach it. Um, but if there's a, if there's a lockstep, try and buy the people in back to the point that we made before, which is, um, if you can invest in those people and train those people, that's fantastic. But if you can't change the people, change the people. Yeah. If you can't change the people, change the people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we found the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 done in a, in a, again in a very nice way. But yes, it's it's you, you, if you're on a journey and people aren't on that journey, what can you do? Speaking of quotes, I have a quote here that's uh, attributed to you. I hope I hope that that's the case. Uh, I'm going to read it here, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, let's not get people to change, but leverage the technology to realize the benefits of change before the massive change happens organically. Can you explain that? <laughs> yeah, that was me. And, and that was a, um, an externally focused statement. Um, let, let me clarify that because that, that's got a number of twists in it. What, what I'm effectively saying is that, um, if it doesn't matter how good your idea is, it doesn't matter how good your technology is, uh, if, your technology requires tremendous amount of operational or personal change within a business. It will be very, very hard to get traction in established businesses. Um, not, not so for startups, but, uh, established businesses. And typically you want to be dealing with established businesses because they have better revenue flow. They have better cash flow. Um, uh, they're better to deal with. You get paid on time, all of those other sort of things. So when we, and through my entire career, when you develop a product, you develop a product that creates Creates the the smallest uh, operational change that you possibly can within a clientele's business. So understand what their needs are, understand how they operate, understand what that market segment is all about, and then look at how you can create a, a a solution that doesn't change what they do operationally. What it does is it augments what they have operationally because. Um, you know, a small business of five or 10 people, yeah, you can get that change to happen fairly quickly. 50 people, it starts getting a lot harder. But when you're talking about thousands or two thousands or some of the clients that we've just signed up now, one of the clients we signed up, um, last month was 120,000 employees. Now, you make one minute change in 120,000 employees in the way that they operate and by the time you get a third of the way through the business, that change won't happen. So if that change has a dependency on your technology working correctly, your technology won't work correctly. And if your technology is working incorrectly, then you're not achieving the outcome that you want to do and you won't sustain growth because people around the bars and around the barbecues and around the water coolers will be saying, (laughs) we had this technology from XYZ organization and, and it didn't work. So what I was saying was... You look at what the people are doing. Don't change the way the people are operating unless incredibly necessary. And if you do change that, change it in a very small amount. Have technology that augments that. So a real example, if you've got an operational um, OHS rule that says that from a moving forklift, people cannot 
be within three metres proximity. Then people already know that rule. It's already part of that rule. So whether you've got someone sitting um, on a chair watching them all day, whether you've got someone reviewing CCTV network, or whether you've got AI and ML sitting over the top of that, um, just saying where you haven't enforced that rule or where you got in a dangerous position, it doesn't change your workers. It doesn't change the procedures. It doesn't change what they want to do and how they operate. Um, what it does do, however, it gives management greater visibility of where people are, are breaching. Um, it gives you greater visibility of where you might have stores that are uh, operating not as well to the OHS rules that you want. And it does create um, the ability to um, alert people if they're going to get hit before they get hit to save life and limb. So, you know, that's a, 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 a direct manifestation of what I was trying to say um, in, that, uh, in that statement that you've quoted me from. So it sounds a bit to me like what you're saying, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, and maybe it's, this is just a component of it, but um, to kind of make the changes that you make as transparent as possible to the people that it affects in order for them to adopt it. And, and in fact, they if you do that properly, they're adopting it without even knowing it. 100%, 100%. And then the change becomes very, very incremental step changes rather than that huge big step change or, or that absolute paradigm shift. Right. Um, because big step change, big paradigm shift, um, they do work, but my lordy, they're hard really hard to do and there's a lot of casualties to that both in process people and 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 dollars usually to the business so yeah you yeah i i think i might write that one down and use that you've you've nailed it jake i i think um you think very similarly to how i think that's that's what i'm getting out of this and uh it sounds like you've been through this a few times you, you definitely have some some experience under your belt um i've i've been through many transformations, some that I've initiated, some more successful than others. The successful ones are the ones where I've implemented this, you know, more, more most recently the cloud transformation um, at Live Nation, you know, um, and what I recommend, um, you know, our customers, our AWS customers do, specifically our enterprise customers that are in these big companies where people, you know, you may have people who've been that job for 30 years or longer, right? Been doing it exact same way for that long. It's going to be very difficult if you take a group of those people and you say, everything that you've been doing for the past 30 years is completely changing next week. Uh, it's not, I mean, it, it doesn't matter how much of an improvement it is. They're not going to see it as an improvement. They're going to say, why are you changing this, right? So if you can change the underlying technology and you can make it better, but their interface to it doesn't change, or at least initially, um, and you can gradually um, introduce that the, their, their interface change, even if you've radically changed the underlying technology and the backend change, um, in my experience, that's what works. That's how you can get adoption. It's not forcing people to do it. It's not convincing people to do it. It's just simply making their lives what they what they want to be doing and what they're willing to do consistent with what you're trying to do, essentially. Yeah, Jake. I, I, you know, and even with a huge compelling event like um, COVID, um, for example, you still see a reluctancy for people to change, even though that total understanding, so that communication thing that I was talking about before is is there. People understand that they need to operate differently, um, yet they don't want to. And we we had the exact scenario when we ent- right. uh, we brought another product to market um, around uh, temperature scanning, where you know the best way to to um, to get someone's core body temperature is to stick something in their core body to take their temperature. 
But that becomes a little bit invasive. <laughs> and if you're going onto the factory floor or you're walking into an office and someone's saying, excuse me, do you mind if I do this? Um, you're probably not going to want that to happen at all the time. The, the other way is use tear duct technology. So uh, if you can scan a tear duct with, you know, nine or ten pixels uh, in view, then you will get a pretty good reading of someone's core body temperature. But then for people like you or I that wear glasses, um, you need to walk in, you need to be at a certain distance, you need to be at a certain focal point. So you've got a choke point within an organization, you have to lift your glasses off. Um, if you're wearing PPE, um, then you have to lift that off. So the very purpose that you're wearing it, it to scan to see whether you've got something that you're going to get is taken away. Um, it's, it's, it's really quite insane. So, you know, so if you can develop something that's free flowing, that doesn't change the way that um, people interact, um, doesn't change the way that they go to work, doesn't change the way that they go around their business and, and doesn't create a funnel point in the business. So nothing changes then. If it's accurate, of course, right. then you will um, get a greater uptake. Um, and, you know, that, that again is a manifestation of that philosophy. Um, you, don't, you know, if you have to put a black body detector in view to constantly calibrate, then people are going to go up and touch that. They're going to get greasy fingers on it. The, the camera's going to move. It won't be in view. And eventually the technology is just, it just doesn't work. And, and so consequently, um, you, you've, you're not providing a safeguard. Right. So don't give someone an operational overhead. Don't give them a task that they need to do constantly. Don't change the way that they need to work if you can possibly help it. Right. And uptake will be a lot better for your business and it will be a lot better received in those bar water cooler discussions that I was talking about when people are saying, yeah, we put this technology in and I really don't know it's in there until someone says, um, hey, you, you might need to go see a doctor. Just go have a look. Yeah, great advice. Definitely. So this this podcast, this is uh, uh, for, uh, for leaders by leaders, right? So um, what advice would you have uh, for a new leader who's starting out um, and, and wants to be successful. Um, you know, another way of asking that is if you could go back to yourself when you first stepped into a leadership role, what would you tell yourself? How, how can you avoid some of the major pitfalls? Yeah, okay. So a, a new leader, for, for whatever reason, I don't know, I did it, um, and I've seen quite a number of leaders I, I see as I promote people through my organization and they step into a, um, a team leader role or into a manager's role or into an SLT role. Um, they feel like they have to be the smartest person in the room. And that's just not <laughs> the case. You, you, you just don't have to be. There's an old adage in selling, which is um, you've got two ears and, and one mouth. Use them in those proportions. Well, the same thing is, is in management. Listen to what your team's saying. Listen to what the vibe is. Listen to what those conversations are. And um, the business will tell you what decisions you need to make. Um, employ good people around you. And, and they will, they will help you be informed. Ultimately, you still have to make the decision, but use the people, use the vibe, use what's happening in your business. And for God's sake, you don't have to be the smartest person. If you had to be the smartest person in, in a business, I would not be in one business. Um, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. I think, um, it's just listen to your team, listen to the heartbeat of your business. Um, listen to the heartbeat of, of, um, the group that you have that are working for you and, um, and, and, and make sure you take time to get to know the people that are the people that are your direct reports well and understand what influences them and, and, and doesn't influence them. It's as simple as that. Um, communication, um, understand and, and, and listen. Yeah. People always want to be listened to. So give them that. I really like that answer. I'm going to tell you why, because I think that this is a, 
and you're probably speaking from experience here, I suspect. Um, this is the classic problem that, that we have, right? We take, and, and this is, you know, not, not the, the new leader's fault so much as the person who put them in that position, because we take the person who's like the best engineer of the group, let's just say the smartest guy in the room, and we promote him to a management role, him or her, right? To a manager management role. And they have no experience in that, but they have a lot of experience doing the work. So what's going to be, what is, what is their natural response going to be uh, when they're in that job, you know, on day one, it's going to be to tell everyone what to do, right? Because they're the smartest person and that's what they've always done. Now they got the authority to do it. But in fact, that's probably the worst thing you could do in that situation because for one, it doesn't scale, right? So you can manage a team of four or five that way for some time, right? With some success, but you're never going to move up beyond that, you know, into a team like an organization of 100, 200,000 it's just not going to work, right? Um, and so a lot of people have to figure this out on their own. Hopefully, they have a mentor that can help them. But you know, um, or they listen to this podcast and they get advice from from leaders who've been there and done that. You know, but um, but what you got to do is you really got to just even if you know the answer, you kind of have to hold yourself back and you have to realize that this is a new skill that you need to develop. And this new skill is how do I get the people who work for me to be the smartest people in the room? Right. And that's a whole new challenge. And I think if you're one of those top performers, which tends to get promoted um, and you look at it that way as a new challenge, I think, um, you know, that's kind of the the way to wrap your head around it is like, I'm a beginner now at this and I'm going to get very good at this. But this is the new way to win the game. Oh, Jake, well, well said. And I'll, I'll just add one, one more bit to that. So, um, it's, it's quite often people walk in and they tell you what the problem is and you know darn well what the answer is and you know darn well how to, how to sort it out. Um, by the time they leave and they've told you what the solution is, um, you realize you didn't know. You, you, it still would have worked, but uh, their idea was better. And so quite often, quite often <laughs> you, you look so much better by listening to what they said than, than what you were going to do. And the other thing, the other point to that, just to add to your engineering um, analogy is, and it's, 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 this is a hard one to manage um, because generally salespeople are A type personalities. Um, but you usually find the best salesperson is, wants to go into sales management, usually find the best salespeople are people that have done that and come back and, and realize that they are very, very good at, at, at being selfish yeah. and um, very, very good at being focused on what they need to achieve and very, very good at manipulating everyone else around them to achieve what they want to achieve. <laughs> but they don't make the best managers at all. Um, so it's usually a lower performing so usually, not always, and this is like I before E except after C, but it's usually a lower performing salesperson that makes the best manager because they can teach, they can mentor, they just can't do quite as well as, as the other salespeople. And because you've got an absolute paradigm shift when you're that salesperson, you are absolutely selfish. You're selfish to how you're going to get the dollars through the door, how you're going to make your targets, how you're going to make your client absolutely happy, and you leverage the business inside to do that. And you are the master manipulator as a sales. As a sales manager, you twist entirely. That selfishness can't be there because all of a sudden your time is everyone else's time. And that's the biggest thing about moving into management regardless. But salespeople tend to be 180 degree flip. And all of a sudden you cannot be selfish anymore. Your time is your team's time. Your time is your people's time. Mm. And all of a sudden, um, your ability to, to control your day and, and, and run your day becomes a lot harder. 
Um, so yeah, it's 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 a big thing. And then how do you manage when you promote someone that was an underperformer up into the sales management position? All the other A class people that were outperforming that person. Um, so that's about that communication and the education right piece that you need to do. But yeah, I. I <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um, right. Managers, I always say managers are the people that couldn't actually do um, the actual task, um, <laughs> but but they knew what they were meant to do. Yeah, that was some exceptions, right? There are some folks, I mean, I'd say my, yeah, there uh, are. my path and several I know, um, you know, you, you, there's an adjustment period, of course. You go through that, you make that mistake. In fact, I made that very mistake you just uh, articulated, that one where uh, I thought I knew the answer. I kept my mouth shut and I found and discovered that somebody had a better one. I was like, oh, wow, and that just... Yet another reason to trust my team. Maybe they know better than I do, right? It's just you get a, you get a group of people together. Probably one of them is going to have a better idea than you do, at least some of the time, right? No matter how smart you are. Absolutely, and and even if it, even if it is your idea, um, I always believe in seeding that idea with someone else and and, and letting them have that idea. Um, it makes someone else feel a lot better. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I, I know some people who are very good at that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brett. Um, I wish we had more time. I think I, we need to have you back because this has been really uh, a really great conversation. And uh, I think there's even more we can get into here um, that, are, that our listeners would really benefit from. So I really want to, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and I, I hope you enjoyed it as well. And uh, um, any last words for our listeners before we go? It, it has been fun. I've, I've enjoyed it. And hopefully everyone that's, um, that's listening has got something out of it um, through all the gray hairs and the mistakes that I've made through my career. I, I hope that it, it can help you. Um, and the other thing that I'd say is um, that I haven't mentioned here is choose your partners incredibly well. Um, and uh, I, I treat, um, and I'm not saying do this, but I treat a partnership like a marriage. I think it's very important to be loyal um, within that partnership. It's very important to be open within that that partnership and it's very important to have both parties uh having value out of that partnership and and that's how you choose your partners and one of those partners that we have and here's a gratuitous plug for aws that do that uh, is aws um we absolutely love them and without aws being in in um a, a strong supporter of this business and a strong supporter of me, um, we wouldn't have seen the growth and leverage the capabilities that AWS have within our business um, that that uh, that we we have done to this day and we continue to do. So um, I would say, whether it's AWS or not, I think they're a goodie. But um, choose your partners incredibly well. Wise words. Thanks, Jake. Thank you.